Let's pray. Uh, Lord, today we just come to you and Lord, we look forward to what you're going to teach us. We didn't come here today, God, out of a ritual or, or just out of a, a religious system. But God, we walked into this place today wanting to hear from our God, wanting to come into your presence. And thank you for the gifted musicians and songwriters that, that bring us into that place. And we wanna continue that heart of worship as we look at your word and we ask that your word would impact our lives. We don't wanna just read words off a page and, and uh, kind of just go through that and say, okay, and even have some kind of just intellectual stimulation. But God, we want to interact with you here today. No matter where we're coming from, if it's a difficult time, a hard time, or a joyous time, Lord, reach our hearts as we open your word and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we uh, get involved here, if you remember, we've been looking at, Paul has been talking about the difference between the legalistic system and following Jesus and having that relationship. And he's continuing that. He left off talking about being a child and having that tutor, that one who raised you up and was around you, and then growing out of that. And, and so that's that whole thing that he's gonna look at today. So, you know, it, you can kind of say it like this. Is your relationship with God real formal, or is he your dad, or your daddy, if you're a lady? Is that how you relate to him? You see, because, hey, you could, be, you could be somebody, you've got all the intellectual knowledge, you, you know Hebrew, you know Greek, you know all the archeological things, you have all of that down and you can spew all of that and you still don't have a relationship with him. And that's what Paul's point is. It's not about you know, what intellectual knowledge you have. It's not about what system you're following and how you're getting involved in that. It's about him and you being personally connected. So he's gonna hammer that home, I hope today, as we get through this. Oh, man, I hope it impacts our lives and we leave here today more in love with God than when we walked in. Listen to verse one. He says, now I say that the heir is no, uh, that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a uh, slave, though he is the master of all, but he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So if you remember, he's relating the whole idea of if you're a child and, and that whole child thing is you're under the, you're under the tutor of the law. The law is the thing that's over you and, and, and kind of disciplining you. And here's what he says, man. As long as you act like a child and as long as you are a child, even though you may be the heir, you don't have full advantage of that. You're no different than the person raising you. And again, kind of emphasizing most of their tutors that they call tutors, Today, we might call them a nanny or some kind of caregiver. They were the ones who raised those kids and they were generally a slave. And here's this point. If you're gonna be under the law, you don't have that relationship. You, although you might be an heir, you don't even know it. You don't even know how to deal with it. And 
technically you have no power because you're under that law. And here's what I love. He says, you're under it until, did you notice, until the father decides. Until it's timing by the dad. Now, all kinds of cultures have different ways of the coming of age uh, for men, for women. You know, you have bar mitzvahs with the Jews, with the, you know, with the Mexican culture. You have quinceaneras, and you have those kind of things going on, and you have a lot of different things. With the Roman culture, they had that thing I talked about last time where you would take off your child uh, toga, and you'd put on a big boy toga. It's like big pants, right? But you would, you would change and, and everybody would know, now you're an adult. You're no longer wearing the childish one. Now you're an adult. But that never happened. Listen, for, for Jews, it's at, at 14 for boys, 12 for girls because they mature faster. I got points, ladies. <laughs> for, for the Mexican culture, it's 15 for those girls. So there's a set age except in the Roman culture. It was up to the father to decide. And it wasn't set at 16, 17, 20, 21, whatever. The father would decide when the son was ready. I think this is important as we look at this and, and you're gonna find out why. So here's what he says, man. As long as you're a child, you're no better off than the slaves. You're no better off than those who are, who are, who are serving because you don't, you don't have and you're not experiencing that fullness of the relationship. And think about that in Christianity. You put yourself under these burdens and these legalistic things and you're not experiencing the fullness of the relationship you have with God the Father. You're hindered and you're trapped and you're closed in. So Paul is saying, hey, those Judaizers are coming and here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you guys back in that. And some of you, Paul's talking to them, are falling for it. And maybe even here today, some of us fall for it. Maybe some of us, hey, we may not follow an Old Testament law, but maybe we have certain things that we think make us a little bit, of, man, just a cut above some other people. You know, like, you know, some of us, some people count church attendance as the fact that if you come to church, you're blessing God. He's not blessed because you're here. Well, he kind of is blessed, but you're here. But he's not blessed that you're here. Like you can't come to church and say, look at God, I didn't miss a Sunday for 15 years. And he's gonna say, seriously? Wow, come on. It's not about church attendance. It's not about, listen, it's not about anything except a relationship. And Paul's trying to get these people back to that and some of us need to get back to that. We have things, we have stipulations that we do that, that hey, if we're, if we're gut check on us, we know that we put certain things on ourselves and then we judge others by them. And he says, stop it. Stop doing that. So verse three then, as he goes on here, verse three says, even so, when, even so we, now he's including himself, when we were children, we were in bondage under, under the elements of the world. So he says, hey, or, or you know, these elemental things. Here's what he's saying. Even we, talking about him, he's a rabbi. He remembers when he was under the law. 
And when he talks about elements of the world or elemental things, depending on your translation, he's talking about anything that gives us the idea that we're achieving some kind of divine favor by what we do and how we perform. And that's a danger. Listen, when you, when you get into the place where you think, if I do this, God has to be blessed. Or if I do this, God has to recognize it. Or even sometimes, do you ever get in a place where you're going through a really, really, really tough time and you say, oh God, God, I promise. If you do this, I'll do this. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you do it. That's not the way to relate to him. That's not, that's not your heavenly father. And so Paul's saying, listen, man, even we, when we were children, and, and here's what he's kind of saying. If you're relating to God that way, you're not maturing. You're staying in this, in this infant stage in your relationship with God, and that's not a good thing. We need to grow up. We need to put on our big boy toga, and we need to act like sons of God and who we are. So listen, he does that now. Now here's where I think, man, here's where I think he flies. Now listen, he said all of that, I believe just to get to four, five, six, and seven. And as he gets to verse four, listen, he does this thing that's always great, but when the fullness of time had, uh, when, the, uh, when the fullness of time had come. Listen, I, I love it when the Bible, when you're reading something and you're kinda, in, in my mind, you're kinda going downhill, downhill slide. You know, hey, when your children, this happens, you relate to God, and you kinda, and then, and then Paul will often write, but, and you go, right? But when the fullness of time had come, what did he say? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now something I want us to notice, who is in charge? God. Our God has a timetable. And he is working things according to his timetable. And at just the right time, according to his timetable, according to his design, according to his will, according to his plan, Jesus Christ came. Not a day sooner, not a day later. He came exactly when God planned it. You know what that tells me? God has things under control. Even when, listen, I look around the world and sometimes I have to wonder, like, did he blink? You know, it's like, it gets a little bit scary when you're looking around. But do you know that God is still working his plan? Do you know that Jesus Christ is going to come back in the fullness of time again? Exactly when it's the Father's plan for him to come back. He's going to come back. And he's going to rule and reign here for a thousand years. Hey, I don't care what people tell me about we're going to ruin this planet. Now listen, having said that, I don't think we should be jerks. I think we should take care of what God has given us. It bothers me when, when some people say, oh, I don't care. You should care. God let us live here. We should take care of it. But here's what I know. It's not going to, like, dissipate. Why? Jesus has to come back. He's got to come back and rule and reign here on this planet and it's gonna be according to God's time. So in the fullness of time, I wanna I want go back then to verses one and two. What did he say? When the father, when it's the father's time, the son gets the toga. 
in the fullness of time, our Father is in charge of things. He chose the time, and his son came forth, and I love this, man. So if his son came forth, here's what it tells us. The son, the second person of the Trinity, has always been. And I know sometimes that's hard to kind of grasp a hold of, but, but here's the thing. This one we call Jesus is fully God. He's existed forever, just like God the Father has existed forever. God in the form of the Trinity has always been. That blows my mind. Last night I was talking to somebody and they were saying they kind of have a hard time thinking of, you know, eternity in the future. And, and that is kind of a hard concept to get a hold of. Although, I think all of us kind of think we're immortal, don't we? We all kind of like the idea that, hey, I could live forever. We don't like the idea of not living forever. So we kind of have that. But the idea backwards, backwards bothers me more. Trying to think of, there's never been a time when God wasn't, ever. No matter how far back you go. And that's sort of mind-boggling. And the son, listen, he came forth, and that's what we need to know. And then it says that when he brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, letting us know something. Not just the virgin birth. Some people use this to emphasize that. I don't think that's what Paul's emphasizing. Here's what he's emphasizing. He was 100% human. He was 100% God, and he was 100% human. That's the only way he could be our savior. He has to be 100% God in order to take the punishment that we deserve for all of eternity in an instant of time. He has to be that, but he has to be 100% human in order to live that life, to take that for us. And I know that adds up to 200%. I don't do math well, but that I can do. And people go, he can't be that. Yes, he is. Because too many people think, well, he's 50% God, 50% man. No, that's comic characters. He is 100% human, 100% God, and he came, listen, and he came and he was born under the law, letting us know that he was bound by all of the law to keep all of the law, 613 of those things, and he had to keep those perfectly in order to bear our sin, which he did. So that, and then, and then here's the great news. So he came, uh, sent forth, God sent forth his son at just the right time, verse five, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Wow. Jesus came to purchase us. That should make us feel good. Our God, as Christians, came and gave everything so that we could have a relationship with him. He purchased us, he redeemed us out of that bondage and bought us and now we belong to him. I don't know about you guys but to me, that's mind-boggling. All the religions of the world, all of them, you have to do something to appease your God. I've had the, I guess, maybe privilege of traveling around the world. 
I've seen Buddhism up close and personal in Thailand where people are doing things that just blow your mind, trying to appease Buddha, trying to get in that right place, trying to be that person that they know they can't be, and they're working and they're working and they're working at it, and it's frustrating. I've seen Hindus do some bizarre things as they're trying to, again, appease one of the you know six million gods they have, and they're working at it, and they're working at it. Our God, our God, came and redeemed us. Hey, that is, that is mind-boggling. We don't have to do things. I, we were in Mexico one time. We had hired a guy to, to guide us. We had to hike down into a, a canyon similar to the Grand Canyon, and then we had to hike a, like 20 miles up that canyon. So we'd hike down to the bottom. We'd spent the, and we'd spent the night there, and we got up, and, and our guide was gone, and we thought, uh-oh, you know, it's, that's never good. You don't know where you're at. And then pretty soon he came back and we go, where you been? And he'd climb this mountain to go stick an arrow in an agave plant because he wanted to appease his gods. Yeah. You see, all, all these religions have something. And even the cults, even the cults, they add things, right? Whether it's the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons, they, they add things. And they, here's what you have to do. Here's what Paul says, my God redeemed me. And better than that, listen, not only did he redeem me, did you read that last part? He redeemed us what and what? That we might receive the adoption as sons? Woo, yes. The NIV says it well. The NIV says that we might, might receive the full an inheritance as a son. Yeah. Wow. And again, that word son is important there. Why? Because it was the firstborn son that got the adoption. We're not, we're not just children. We're sons. And how important that is. And, and listen, man, we have been adopted. Now, again, for us, adoption in, in our culture is quite a bit different. In their culture, they would often adopt adult people and bringing them into the family, especially to get an heir if they didn't have an heir. Now are you kind of getting the idea? Hey, and he brought us in and placed us so we have all of the benefits of the son and all of the, all of the, the uh, anything that the son has is ours. Hallelujah. Now listen, you gotta read that. You gotta get a little bit excited. Even some of you who aren't even excited at all. You gotta get, you gotta go, yes, yes. That's who I am. Now, listen, now it gets even better. Listen to what he says in verse six. And because you are sons, so here's the thing. Are you a son or not? Ooh, you gotta decide, right? I love the fact that Paul says, because you are sons, right? Because he's letting them know, you guys made some professions. And, and I look out there and I see a lot of sons, again, using that term as, a, as a, uh, a, a term that you're adopted as that firstborn. Don't get all generic, or, or I'm just, and, and not generic, but genetic on me, and, and gender and all of those things. Man, you know what? Ignore all of the current garbage going on and just accept the fact that you're a son whether you're a male or a female you're a son and he says because you are sons is that good news listen if you read that you could put your name in there right because pat is a son god has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out abba father because i'm a son god sent forth the spirit to indwell me do you know the one who created the universe? 
lives in you. Wow. Wow. Think about that the next time you're sinning. And you're going to go, why? I am so stupid. Why would I have all of the power of the one who created the universe living, dwelling in me, so I don't have to do that, and I'm not taking advantage of that? That's like having, you know, I, I think in, in terms of, uh, you know, a car, you can have the most powerful car in the world, and if you only drive it 30 miles an hour, that stinks. You have all of that power, and you're... You're not taking advantage of that. And, and listen, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm just going to paraphrase that. You can, you can write it down. But remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, hey, we can't know the things of God because the things of God are revealed by the Spirit of God. And unless you have the Spirit of God, you won't know the things of God. When he gives us his Spirit, how many can testify when they got born again, when they called out to God and they got born again, that things, the Bible, for me, the Bible changed radically. I tried to read it before. I maybe tried to read it two days before. And then I got born again and I'm going, wow. Why? Because the spirit of God is revealing the things of God. And, and that's what he's saying here. And not only that, hey, I love this part. He says, oh, you have the spirit. The spirit uh, uh, is into your hearts and you're crying out, Abba, Father. Now, I think most of us know, listen, that's, and, and I think it's stretching it a little bit to say daddy. But it's a term of, hey, it's a term of intimacy, like if you're close with your father, and I know some people have father and, and bad things with fathers, but if you're close with your father, you usually don't say father. You usually have dad or, you know, a lot of ladies. My daughter, my daughter is a grown adult. When she wants dad to do something, it's daddy. You know, oh, daddy, can you come over? When I get daddy come over, here's what I know. Bring your tools. If it's just dad come over, I might get a meal. <laughs> but if it's daddy come over, you got to bring your tools. And so, listen, but it's, here's what he's saying. The spirit indwells us so there's that intimacy, that closeness. And he's going to develop that a little bit further. But how close are you to God today? How much do you understand and realize the Spirit of God indwells in you. Oh, in Romans, hey, in Romans chapter 8, he says that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Hallelujah, huh? Hey, that's what he's letting us know. And, and you can go on and read the rest of that. But listen, man, how powerful that is. And he says, hey, you have that now. It gets even better. Sometimes I like to say gooder so you guys remember, right? It gets gooder and gooder. Listen to this, verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, you're the heir of God through Christ. Woo! Everything that belongs to Christ now belongs to us because we're heirs. How great is that? Think about the relationship between the father and the son and the intimacy and the closeness. That's ours. And everything that belongs to the son is ours. Why on earth would we ever want to be a slave again? Why would we do that? And Paul's going to ask that in a minute. He's like, what in the world is the matter with you? I wrote down some things here 
about the, the difference between a son and a slave. And here's some of the, the scripture references. But uh, before we get to those, listen, the son has the same nature as the father. The slave doesn't. The son's part of the family. The slave isn't. The son has a father while the slave has a master. The son obeys out of love. The, the slave obeys out of uh, fear. And then the greatest of all, the son is rich. And the slave is poor. And the riches of God. Listen, here's, here's some things. Do your, own, do your own word search, man. Whether you use, you know, Blue Letter Bible or whatever. Just type in riches. I, I wrote these down. And, and these are the references. In Ephesians, it says, we're rich in God's grace. In Philippians, it says, we're rich in his glory. In Romans, it says, we're rich in his goodness and rich in his wisdom. Are you kind of getting the idea of who we are when he says, we have, we the heirs with Christ? And then Colossians, I love it. In Colossians, Paul says, we're rich in everything. Woohoo! Saints, when are we going to realize that? When are we going to start living that and start appropriating that in our lives. You know, I like the idea that someone said, hey, the son came and gave us the ability to be sons. The spirit came and empowered us to do that. How great that is. One gave us a objectional, or, or the, uh, the ob, ob, objection uh, truth, and the other made it subjective where it's real in us and we can act on it. Are you doing that today? Are you walking with him? So that's the good news. Now, Paul wants to emphasize it and bring it more to light. So he says, but, now this isn't a good but. This is a, but then, indeed, when, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you guys, and I know who you are. And I know for those guys, remember the Galatians were Gentiles. They were serving those things that weren't gods. As I said, check out religions. See what they have to do. See the things that they have to accomplish and they serve. And they're really not gods. I think one of the most bizarre things I've watched is in Thailand with the Buddhists when they build they disturb the ground, obviously. You have to dig footers and stuff. And if you disturb the ground, then you've disturbed the spirits of that ground. And, you, and, and if, you go, if you ever go to Thailand, even in, even in downtown big buildings, they'll have these little, uh, a pedestal about like this with a little house on it. And they're pretty cool little houses. And they build these little houses and they call them spirit houses. And they build these little houses so the spirits that they've made mad have a little house and they're protected. And then they come and they bring things and they put it in the little houses. They put, they'll, they'll have candy bars in there, sodas in there, different things. I wanted to take some stuff. I'm walking by and I go, well, you know, we could eat that candy bar. The guy I'm with said, do not do it. And I go, it's just gonna go to waste. You know and I know that that's just gonna go to waste and we could eat that. And he goes, you'll cause a riot. And I go, well, we could sneak it. I was at a park one time, and I am not exaggerating. I was at a park. They had the little spirit house, and they had little, they had little like, like toy soldiers in there set up that represented the spirits. And then I walked around the corner in the park, and I walked over in the weeds, and there's some toy soldiers in the weeds. And I go, 
I guess these guys didn't do well and they got thrown out and the new soldiers came. And I'm thinking, is that your God? That you can just throw your God in a weed and walk away? Saints, we serve the God of the universe. He says, but some of you, and I think all of us, hey, those things we serve, they weren't gods, but by nature they're not gods. But, verse 9, here, I'd love this. Listen to this. Now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you, des- to which you desire again to be in bondage? Here's what he's saying. And I, listen, I love this first part, but I don't like the second part, but the first part I love, he says, listen, for those of you who know God, rather you're known by God. Do you know that God knows you? He knows you intimately. Do you know he cares about you? Hey, when he's using these terms, no, he's not talking about just an acquaintance, like I know a whole bunch of you, but I'm close to some of you. God's close to all of us. He knows you. It's not just that you know God, it's the fact that God knows you. And man, you you know what? Take that to bed tonight and understand that your God knows you. And he says, you have that truth. And he goes, then why on earth do you go back to those other things? And it's this reason, because we're stupid, that's why. Because we do that. Hey, it's not just the Galatians. I know I'm not supposed to use that word, but that's why we don't let kids in here. I don't want to corrupt your children. But hey, listen to what, listen. Here's what he says. You have all of this, and then you go back to the other way. Why do you do that? Well, one of the reasons is because we're sinners. Even after we're saved, we still have a sin nature. Any of you guys perfect yet? Please don't raise your hand. No, and we're drawn back, and then, and then, why do we, then why do we make these silly little things, these silly little rules, these silly little legalistic, why do we do that? Because somehow that's safer to us than trusting God and walking by faith. And we, it makes us feel better, it makes us feel more in control. Hey, we are not in control, God is, and listen carefully, you contribute nothing to your salvation. You don't. If you're a son, you can't become more of a son by doing something. You're a son. You can make yourself more of a son. God loves you today. If you're born again, God loves you today as much as he's ever gonna love you. You don't have to earn his love. Jonathan Edwards said this. I love this. Listen to this quote. He says, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I love that. That's an old guy, right? That's one of the old dead guys, man, that are thinking. And yet we try to do it. And hey, some of us were raised in homes where we had to please our parents. And we feel that same obligation to God that somehow we have to please him. He loves you. That doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that your life's not gonna change. When you understand who you are in Christ and that gets in your heart, your life will change. Because you're no longer that slave, you're a son. And, and, and he puts that forward and, and then he says this, listen to the heart of Paul. 
He says, well, and when he's talking about bondage, oh, here's one for us. Verse 10, almost skipped that one. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Here's what was going on. The Judaizers were coming back in and here's what they were telling them. You got to keep the Sabbath. You got to keep the new moon festival. You got to keep this. You got to do this. You got to do that. And that's all of the things he's talking about. And so, hey, and then people read this and here's what people have brought to me. Well, you know, in Galatians it says that it's bad to observe days and seasons and months. Why do we celebrate Christmas? I've had people ask me that. I was a legalist once. I know the arguments. I, I did not allow my wife to celebrate Christmas one year. What a dork. <laughs> so we're not doing that in our house because it's, you know, and I, anyway, I know the arguments. If you're celebrating Christmas or resurrection or anything to appease God, then stop it. If you're celebrating it because you love God and you want to celebrate him, go for it. Now, I don't think you should just do it on December 25th. I think you should celebrate God every day. But I get, I get that idea. That's, so listen, this isn't talking about that. This is talking about making legalistic things. Oh, you have to do this on, you know, in the Sabbath. And, you know, I was even reading one of the commentaries, a guy I highly respect, and he used this term. Well, we know we have the Christian Sabbath. And here's what I wrote in the, in the uh, margin. No, we don't. We don't have a, there's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. That's a made-up thing that somebody brought in that they start making a rule and a regulation. Why? And here's what Paul's saying. Why do you go back to those things? Just love God. And then listen to his heart. Here's his heart. Verse 11, I'm afraid for you. Listen to what he's saying, man. I am terrified for you. For those Galatians, why? Because those Judaizers, he could see them being tugged away and pulled over. And he goes, hey, I'm afraid for you lest... Uh, uh, he says, I'm afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Did I do what I did for nothing? Wow. Saints, let's don't be slaves. Come on. Man, let's go out there and recognize the fact we are sons. We are full heirs. We have the full benefits of a son, of the son. Understand that and walk in that and rejoice in that and allow God to make that real in your life by his Holy Spirit who indwells you. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you today for the challenge in your word. And Lord, I do pray that as we think about this and as we get ready to go, God, that Lord, you would work in our hearts. I think a lot of us know this intellectually, doctrinally. I think we could spell it out on paper. But my prayer is we would know it experientially. 
that it would be part of our life, part of the way we walk, that we would understand, not just with our brains, but with our hearts, who we are in you. And God, that we would battle against going back to those meagerly, beggarly, as Paul says, elements that do nothing but pull us down and entrap us. But Lord, that we would enjoy you and enjoy fellowship with you and that we would glorify your name, God, as we walk with you. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that attitude, that place of prayer for another couple moments. And if you are here today and you do not have that relationship with Jesus, you know it. I don't, I don't have to really explain it. You know who you are if you don't. And even if you've come to Calvary Chapel for you know, 5, 10, 15 years, you know, you know if you have a relationship or not. And if you don't have that relationship, man, today would be a great day to change that. Today would be the day to call upon his name and be saved. Get out of that slavery and come into sonship. So, hey, if you want to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And again, it's a simple prayer. You're going to let God know that you know you're a sinner. He already knows that. But you need to know that you know that. Or you need to know that. And so you need to let him know. You need to tell him you're a sinner. You need to let him know you're sorry that you've sinned against and offended a holy God. And then you need to humbly ask him to forgive you. And here's what I know, he will. He'll forgive you because he died on the cross. He came to purchase you. So if you wanna do that here this morning, you can say this prayer with me and God will hear you. If you're backslidden and maybe you've walked away from God for months, maybe a year, maybe weeks, come home. Come back to Jesus. His heart's desire is for you. So I wanna challenge you to do that. I wanna challenge you to take that step and come back. So you can say this prayer with us. If you're watching online and you're there at home, you can say this prayer with us. Even if you got your jammies on, you can say this prayer with us and just call on his name. So you can say this prayer out loud or you can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is your heart and that you're sincere. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. Right now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. Savior.